Welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. That snippet opening today's show was from the single Everyday Goddess, as I know you all are out there, from the gifted musician Celia, who I thank from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to use her music on the show. Check out the CDs of Celia, that's C-E-L-I-A, and you know what? Look for her Naughty and Pink album, because i got to tell you, that just makes me laugh my butt off. Well, I have a great show for you tonight. Uh, you may or may not have heard of the Red Tent Movement or Phenomena, because I think that's what it is. Actually, it's a phenomena. And the documentary uh, about this awesome movement across the globe that so empowers women, uh, that's called Things We Don't Talk About. Uh, we have the filmmaker with us returning to the show to co-host with me tonight. Uh, that's Isadora Leidenfrost. Uh, so stay tuned in to meet uh, not just Isadora again, but Deanna, Alexis, Astrid, Oceana, and Lushanya, all women making a real difference with the Red Tent events they host in different parts of the country. But first, a few housekeeping tidbits. My sympathies tonight uh, go out to Morning Glory Zell, High Priestess of the Church of All Worlds, who has passed to the Summerland after a long and mighty, and let me say that again, a mighty, mighty fight with cancer. She will be greatly missed in her community. Uh, she was a foremother. She was definitely a way shower, um, a very unique woman indeed. In fact, uh, when I started leading uh, sacred tours uh, many, many, many years ago, she was one of my first tour leaders. Uh, she took a small group of people to Greece, and um, you know that was the opportunity I had to uh, know Morning Glory Zell. So my sympathies to her. Uh, we are losing so many of our foremothers, but uh, you know we have uh, fortunately some young women who are standing there ready to um, take the torch and carry it forward, like a lot of the women who we are going to be talking to tonight who are doing uh, the red tent movements in their communities. And uh, getting on to some other business, uh, before we start uh, off with uh, Isadora tonight, uh, I am very excited to announce the long-awaited trip to visit goddess sites of Turkey in May of 2015. It is being planned as we speak. The itinerary is on the drawing board. So if you're interested in being on the tour of a small select group of women and men, we're keeping the group uh, to around 20. 
So please let me hear from you so I can put you on the list to get updates. Turkey, uh, wow, uh, it used to be called Anatolia, or home of the nourishing mothers uh, in ancient times. It is an incredible melting pot of goddess cultures. A diamond in the rough for sure. So many tourists have really not yet discovered Turkey. And you know what? They are not on the euro yet. So this is the best time to visit a country. You can still feel the power of goddess there. Unlike many other places that have really become overrun with tourists, when last I visited, so many goddess sites uh, aren't even on the beaten path, and we could be there totally alone to do exactly what we wanted to do in terms of ritual, movement, meditation. Sometimes we did some sharing of our, the dreams we had uh, during the trip. Uh, you know, Turkey is home to Isis, Kabeli, Mary, Kubaba, Aphrodite, uh, Magna Mater, and many more goddesses. And I have to tell you, the museum in Ankara, the Anatolian Museum, well, you know what? It rivals um, the Louvre. It rivals the British Museum. It is superb. But closer to home in July, if you're in or near Nashville, Tennessee, you might want to know about the Divine Feminine Conference. Uh, I uh, am lucky enough to have been asked to be one of the presenters for this weekend-long conference. It's a Friday through uh, Sunday, which will be totally awesome. If you go to my Facebook page and scroll down a bit, you will no doubt find a posting. Uh, You'll see a, a very pink image with Athena, in it, um, in the replica of her temple, which is in Nashville. Uh, if you click on that, you'll get more information about the schedule, the price, the presenters, the hotel we'll be in, which is a four points Sheraton in Nashville. So it's moderately priced, but this is not a camping event, ladies and fellas, uh, because this is for men and women. We are not roughing it. We're going to stay in a nice hotel uh, for the conference weekend. So please uh, go there and check it out if you can't find it, email me, and I'll make sure you get all the information you need. And it's right around the corner, so start thinking about it seriously. Uh, Also, closer to home here in Los Angeles, uh, even closer to home, I guess I should say, uh, I have several other presentations coming up the month of May. This Saturday, I'll be at the Dharma Center Bookstore in Whittier doing my presentation on Goddess Sites of Washington, D.C. That's from 7 to 9 p.m., and it's by donation. Then the next day, Sunday, May 18th, I'm uh, at the Goddess Collection booth at World Fest in Balboa Park in the San Fernando Valley. Please come visit our booth that I'm sharing with uh, other groups of women, uh, specifically the Abbey of Avalon, the Hands of Demeter folks. Then uh, the following week, uh, May 31st, uh, Memorial Day weekend, that's Saturday, I'm at the Green Man store. Uh, in North Hollywood. No, I'm sorry, it's the following weekend, May 31st. I'm at the Green Man Store in North Hollywood with a presentation called Goddess Spirituality, a New Reality for All Humankind. And then uh, Saturday, June 7th, I'm at the Long Beach Women's Spirit Fair. So please come visit me at my table. I love to chat with friends and fans. I'll have my books and other delightful items to sell and information to share. So write me, Facebook me, email me, send me a message in the chat room. It is now open uh, with your contact information if you're interested in any of these things coming up or if you have any questions. So 
let's uh, go ahead and jump right in. I know we have uh, Isadora on the line here. Uh, Isadora, I thank her for her patience. And if this is the first time uh, you've heard me chat with uh, Isadora, let me briefly tell you about her. Uh, she is uh, um, uh, she creates multimedia to empower women. Inspired by women's communities and textile traditions, she creates documentary films, video productions, websites, and other multimedia. She's trained as both a filmmaker and a textile historian. Isadora holds a BFA from the Rhode Island School of Design and a Master's and Ph.D. from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She is obviously the filmmaker of the film we mentioned already, Things We Don't Talk About. So, Isadora, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, you know, I think this <clears throat> this red tent movement uh, has really just uh, taken off and uh, taken wing, taken flight. I mean, you know, it's not just uh, a low-flying thing. You know, it is flying high. You know, I'm surprised it's, you know, not flying in the Milky Way. It's uh, <laughs> uh, so high-flying and successful. Um, you know, why don't why don't you start out, you know, since you're the first guest, you know, it feels like you should sort of lay the groundwork. You know, what is the red tent, and where does it come from? It's a wonderful question. So before I actually give you a definition, I just want to paint a little picture of it. So I want you to imagine a red fabric space, and you look up, and there are red fabrics draping from the ceiling all the way to the floor. There are red cushy pillows, and there are women of all ages, all colors, all ethnicities and just religions and everything. They're all in the tent. And just sort of imagine walking into that space. It's not too bright of a space. It's kind of a dark space. And you walk into that space, and you just feel like you're coming home. And what a red tent is, it's a, it's a red fabric space where women gather to rest and to share stories about their lives. It's very simple. It came from a book called The Red Tent which was a book by Anita Diamond, and it came, her book came out in 1997, but it didn't become popular until 2001. And what happened as a, result of her, as, her, of, as a result of her book was that it created a bond between women, and it, created a, um, it sort of fulfilled a, uh, or created an idea in women's minds that they could have a red tent space like that. And women all over the world started creating these red tents. And before I started the film, I started working on it in 2008, 2009, because my dear friend, Elisa Starkweather, who's the founder of the Red Tent Temple Movement, asked me if I'd make a little PR video. And she, um, I had been a participant in Red Tents before, since probably 2005 to 2006. And I just fell in love with the Red Tent. So when I got an opportunity to make a film about this, I just totally jumped on board, because it's something I believe in, and it's something that has helped me, and it's something that has helped a lot of other women, and I was really inspired and empowered by that. Well, you know, we are sort of creating our own little online uh, red tent. So, you know, I guess I kind of in, invite listeners to imagine that um, as they sit and listen to the voices of all the different women tonight, your voice, Deanna, Alexis, Astrid, uh, Oceana, uh, Lusania, and I'm so sorry, Alyssa, 
uh, can't be, uh, Elisa can't be with us tonight, but I know she's with us in spirit, that as, as, as you listen to our voices, imagine yourself in this beautiful surrounding uh, as uh, Isadora has described. You know, maybe even light a red candle. You know, put a red pillow on your lap uh, as, you, as you sit there and listen to us tonight. Um, because, you know, we're going to try to share, I think, some of the things that maybe some of the women might say in the red tent. Do you think, Isadora? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I just think it's just fantastic how, you know, no matter what our story is, you know, we hear our stories and other women's stories in the red tent. And I definitely heard mine. And I think, you know, our audience tonight will definitely feel like, you know, a lot of the other women who happen to be my very dear friends who are going to be on this call with us tonight, they, you know, they're going to share stories. Many of, actually, all of the women that are on the call tonight are all in the film, and they have wonderfully inspiring stories, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, hearing them again. So we're going to talk to each woman for about 15 minutes or so, and, uh, you know, we're going to hope we can, you know, st- stick to our schedule. I, I think we probably will. Um, but what do you think, Isadora, is the magic behind this red tent? You know, why has it been so successful? Have women been so stifled under patriarchy? Could that be part of it, or or have you figured out something else? Hmm. I mean, I think that probably plays a role, but I think that we have that we lead very busy lives, and the red tent sort of provides us a space to sort of step back and just kind of be rather than do, and kind of um, have this moment where we almost take a little mini vacation from our own life, where we can just um, witness other women's experiences and where we can just kind of walk into this other world that, you know, creates a community based on cooperation rather than competition and that creates a space where all women are respected and honored and valued and heard and where they have an opportunity to not only speak but also listen to the other women's stories. So I think all of those factors really come in and bring that, that sense of magic. But it, it's also a womb-like space. So you know, that kind of the space and the women in the space really make it, you know, profound. And I wonder if on some deep unconscious level, you know, being in that womb space, that the redness of it, you know, because maybe it's, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm talking crazy stuff here. But, you know, women are, I guess, more accustomed to being in the presence of, of the womb, of blood, of our men's seas. You know, maybe it speaks to us at a deep level. You know, maybe it makes us feel more comfortable. You know, you know maybe it just makes us feel, um, I don't know, it maybe just speaks to us at the DNA level or something and just sort of lures us in. Well, that's entirely possible considering, you know, when I started making the film, there was about 160 red tents throughout the world, and now, you know, there's over 10,000 that I can find. That so, is incredible. I have everywhere. <laughs> I have, so, I have goosebumps as, as you're saying that. Wow. And um, so what are some of the places we might be most surprised? You know, what are some of the really faraway places uh, these red tents are catching on? Well, 
One of my favorite women who I wish she could have participated in this call is, um, there's actually two women. One of them is Zohar, and she lives in Israel, and she's been hosting Red Tents for a couple years, and she she's really doing phenomenal things in her community. And the other woman is a woman named Elena, and she lives in Chile, and she's actually the reason why the Red Tent movement is blossoming so much in Latin America right now, because she's been hosting Red Tents and also hosting screenings of um, of things we don't talk about, which is the Red Tent movie, all over you know Latin America. She's been doing screenings in Mexico, Argentina, and she's doing a lot of my translation for me to um, help women in Colombia and Ecuador and other countries um, host screenings as well and host Red Tents. So she's sort of being um, a real beacon for women in, the, in a lot of different communities throughout Latin America, and that's very inspiring to me. So let me ask you this. Um, I know you said at the opening, you know, it's a place for women of all religions. And, you know, maybe this is just my own curiosity, but are you finding that this is, that this literally is attractive to women of all religions? I'm thinking women in burqas, Muslim women, Buddhist women, um, you know, or or those folks in the minority, um, or or are they attracted to it? Has maybe the word not reached Middle Eastern countries aside from Israel? Um, Any thoughts on that? No, I don't. I would say it probably hasn't reached, um, you know, some of the far places because we're still in like the baby stages of the movement. Um, But I am finding that, you know, no matter what culture you've grown up in, for some reason the red tent, because it's associated as a womb-like space, because it has roots in Anita Diamond's book being a menstruation space, there there are menstrual huts all over the world. So women sort of automatically identify, you know, with the space like this or a women's community space like this. So, you know, even though other religions, you know, I do believe almost all the religions have some semblance of a women's community space, you know, no matter how small it is. And, you know, I think that there are, the Red Tent movement is starting to bridge some of these gaps where it's moving even farther, but, you know, it's going to take a little time. Sure. Well, but you've done phenomenal. I mean, really, I mean, phenomenal from, you know, from a couple dozen to thousands. I mean, I think that's, I think that's phenomenal when you figure this is totally word of mouth. This is totally grassroots. Um, it's, it's just incredible. And I want to go back just a little bit to that book that sort of unknowingly sparked it all, The Red Tent. Um, I loved that book. And I don't know if, it's talked about quite as much as it used to be. It was a really popular book, and, and I don't have a sense of if it's still popular, but I would really encourage women to read that book. It was really interesting, I thought, not only because you got a sense of this sisterhood in the tent during menses, but other things were going on, too. It sort of showed you how maybe we lost goddess spirituality, how when women married men who were of a different religion, um, you know, the goddess started to disappear, although, of course, there were areas that were holdouts. And um, it was a very, very, very interesting book. In fact, one day, if I ever get time, I'll probably go back and reread it. I mean, wonderful things about, you know, how they would prepare a young girl for uh, marriage, you know, that, that first wedding night, you know. Uh, it, I mean, just... It, 
just awesome stuff. Uh, the, the red tent, I can't really recommend it enough. It, it, it's delicious. Um, but what's also delicious, Isadora, is your film, uh, Things We Don't Talk About. Um, talk a little bit more about the film. And I know you've been doing screenings all over. And what has that been like? Oh, it's been kind of like a tsunami, actually. No, it's so the film. The film is 72 minutes, and it, um, in the last, it came out in September of 2012, and there's been several hundred screenings throughout the world, and some that I have done and some that other people are doing. And my vision for the screenings that I have done is I wanted every single screening that I would do would be in a red tent, because most of the women who attend my film screenings have you know, maybe they read the book, but they never actually got to experience what a red tent feels like. So every screening that I do is in a red tent that is my traveling red tent. It's about 3,600 square feet is the biggest it can be. And, um, and then a lot of the other women who are hosting red or, uh, screenings of the movie without me are also building red tents for the purpose of the movie, which is really great too because it's sort of changing the way that we're – well, it's, it, my intention was that I wanted to change the way filmmaking was – was looked at. So we're not just going to a movie theater. We're maybe transforming a church basement or a yoga studio or um, a community center or a domestic violence shelter or something like that into this space of women's community. So the, the film, like I said, is 72 minutes. Um, if, you're, if you haven't heard about the film, you can read more about it or you can watch the trailer at www.redtentmovie.com. And it's a 72-minute film. And it basically chronicles the – it basically talks about different stories from the Red Tent movement. It's, it's called Things We Don't Talk About, Women's Stories from the Red Tent. And it sort of shines a spotlight on, you know, this really fantastic space that, you know, women are gathering in. Well, um, all right, well, that answered one of my questions. I didn't know how the red fabric part of it started. So you actually – um, made that happen. You know, that sort of became um, part and parcel of the Red Tent movement went with the film. Um, so does that mean before you started doing the film, these red, red tents were happening just without the tent? Well, it depends on the, the group. I mean, ultimately, all the red tents that I've ever been in before I even started making the film, they always usually had red fabric in the space somehow. But, you know, women, women have very busy lives, and some women don't have as much energy to host red tent as frequently, or they don't want to decorate their home or their what, whatever the space is completely. So maybe they just wear, everybody wears a red scarf, or maybe everyone just wears red. So, you know, a red tent can be anything we want it to be. It's just, you know, right, build the right. space and come with the intention and share the stories. Right, I hear you. So um, I see that Deanna has just uh, come on come online. Uh, why don't we say hello to her? And one of the questions I have um, for both of you, uh, once we get Deanna on the line with us, is um, what actually happens in the red tent? Do you do ritual? Uh, do you just pass a talking stick? Um, what happens? But first, let me unmute uh, Deanna and welcome her. Hey, Deanne, it's Karen Tate here. How are you? Hello, Karen. Good to hear you live. I'm doing excellent. Joining you Good. from Northern California. 
Good, yes. You're you're up north of me, and it's so good to have you back again. Um, you were on the show ages ago. Um, do you yes. even remember that? <laughs> I do, I do, I do. I remember it fondly. <laughs> wonderful, yes. wonderful. And I'm so glad to have you back. But let me just go ahead and read your bio, Deanna, and then we'll jump in and, um, you know, we'll keep the chat going. So, listeners, right now we have uh, just joined us Deanna Lamb, internationally established expert on menstrual wellness, author of Becoming Peers, Mentoring Girls into Womanhood, and A Diva's Guide to Getting Your Period, founder of Red Moon School of Empowerment for Women and Girls, and of Red Tents in Every Neighborhood Global Network. Fondly known as Womb Visionary, Deanna has been transforming lives worldwide for over 20 years, teaching women and girls how to love themselves unconditionally. She guides women to dissolve PMS symptoms by drawing spiritual strength from their cycle. She helps mothers welcome their daughters to empowered womanhood and teaches women how to hold red tents in their communities. And you can visit her at her website, DeannaLam.com, D-E-A-N-N-A-L-A-M.com. So, Deanna, why don't you answer that question? What happens in the red tent? Is it a ritual? Do you pass the talking stick? What is it a structured experience? Well, I'd like to start by, first of all, saying hi to Isadora and everyone else. It's really good to be connected here. I'd like to say that what happens in red tents varies. As many red tents there are, as many different things happen in them. I don't think there is one thing. I can tell you the gamut that I'm aware of, and I can tell you specifically what I do, but um, that is by no means what happens in every red tent. So as far as I know, women do anything from just coming to be. There's nothing that happens, any doing. Women just recline and relax and dream and be when they menstruate because it's a place for them to renew and just to go inward and be quiet. Uh, there are places where ritual is done. There are red tents where women are having slumber party type thing. There are uh, deep rituals uh, and everything in between a slumber party and a deep ritual. I personally mostly do um, journey to the inner maiden inside every adult woman because inside each of us there is the girl that we all were when we came of age. And 99.9% of us all over the world have not been welcomed. And I find that this is a gap or, in many cases, a wound that we're still carrying with us. And in the red tent, I help women create the ritual, the coming-of-age welcoming into womanhood ceremony that they never received when they were young. And the second step for mothers of daughters, we welcome the girls into womanhood. So that's, that's what we do. But um, I'm sure that other women would have different answers. Okay, yeah, I can I can see where that would be. And now um now a woman doesn't have to be having her menses to come to the red tent though, right? No, absolutely not. Um I've heard of women um wanting to create a white tent for the menopausal women and I always welcome women of all ages because I think it's it's tremendously important that the menopausal women, the wise women that hold their magic and blood inside come and share their wisdom with women of other ages and that we're not um, separating. You know, in, in this culture we always have, you know, there's the teen center and there's a senior center, there's always separation. And in the red tents of old, women of all ages from the time of first moon 
well beyond menopause, women gathered together. So I am welcoming any and all women. And specifically in my work, a woman, regardless of her menstrual status, can connect with the girl that she was when she started bleeding, whether she still does or not. So it doesn't matter if she's had a hysterectomy or she's long past no. having, you know, her moon time. Uh, this is no. this is basically a, a woman's sacred space, as as exactly. I think what I'm hearing both you and Isadora say. Absolutely, yes. And how young would you say is appropriate to uh, start a young girl to come to the red tent? And I'm curious if any women have brought their young sons, and if it would be appropriate. So women bring nursing babies, so as long as the baby attached to mother's body, they're welcome. Beyond that, uh, women bring their girls who start menstruating. There is a sacred space there. There is a realm of the women's mysteries that uh, for girls who have not started yet bleeding, it's almost like giving them their Christmas presents in July. <laughs> it's, really, it's not their realm yet. And for them to see into a realm that they haven't arrived yet to is is spoiling the surprise, and it also is, in many cases, not age-appropriate. So I invite girls to come after their first blood. Then they are peers with us. They have started bleeding, and there is a way in which we all share the same experience. Until a girl starts bleeding, she has not been there. She does not share that experience. So it's not really her realm. I see. That makes perfect sense. And I can imagine, too, when you mentioned about the white tents, and rather than have that separation, I mean, what better place than the red tent for a younger woman to glean wisdom from a woman who sort of walked in her shoes, you know, and and really vice versa. You know, maybe an older woman is a grandmother for the first time, and maybe she can see see things through the eyes of a maiden and, you know, maybe even help her... uh, you deal with the younger women in her life. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the gifts in that is that when women of all ages connect with with girls who are not their daughters, there's a huge gift there because when girls start uh, moving into puberty and adolescence, they really need input from other adults in their lives. And mom has been there since birth. And there is a need to individuate and separate and, and expand into other realms of adulthood and, and taste other things. And if we don't provide that multi-age community, the girls and boys will find influences outside of our protective realm. And often these might be influences that we don't really like or want them to be exposed to. Whereas in this multi-age community, There is such freshness with women connecting with girls who are not their daughters and with girls connecting with women who are not their mom or grandma, and they glean wisdom and they are uh, related to as peers and they can take the wisdom and the newfound relationships into their families and apply a lot of what they've learned in there. Sounds perfect. Well, Deanna, um, you know, women have been empowering themselves since the 60s. Um, What do you think is still missing? So what I'm finding that the missing piece in, in all of our lives as women, really around the world in all cultures, is the fact that we have not been welcomed into womanhood when we started bleeding and the fact that all the huge and important 
important work that has been done on healing the inner child, on healing the inner girl, stops at puberty. So no one really tends to that part of us that is the maiden that started bleeding in a vacuum or worse, in, in uh, ridicule or shaming or, or uh, embarrassment or lack of information. And that moment in time, the, the time of our first blood, is really a foundational moment in our relationship to ourselves as women, to our femininity and our body and our cyclicity. We cycle for years, 30, 40 years. And if that foundation has been skewed or not honoring and not celebrated and not um, uh, really welcoming, there is a, a missing bit that most women that I work with don't even know is missing. But when they find it, when we journey and find that coming-of-age girl who is still waiting there to be seen and acknowledged and welcomed and honored, there is a huge piece that comes into play. So, yes, we have done a lot of empowerment and women have um, broken through glass ceilings and women have decided to not have children or to have children and careers and women have had it all in all manners of emancipation. But this one realm of our relationship with our blood and with our cyclicity and the fact that we haven't been honored is still really waiting to be tended to and embraced and integrated into our lives. Well, you know what you're making me think about, Deanna, and now and I and I can't speak from personal experience, so if I'm wrong, just say it. I I, I, I don't matter. I, I you know, I want to get this right. You know, I'm childless yes. by choice, but I've read yes. stuff about women who um, you know, who have children, and then, you know, it all, it all then starts to become all about the child, whether it's, you know, family, oh, you know, it's the new baby, you know, and the mother is sort of forgotten about. And you even hear about women who go into depression after childbirth. I can't help but think how useful a red tent would be to support and nurture that mother especially if she's a new mother. Absolutely. And not only when she's a new mother, when maybe she had lost a child in, in childbirth. So, so there was a, a friend of mine did a, a circle of women in the red tent for any woman who lost a child, a circle of women who had aborted a child, a circle of women who miscarried. I mean, all levels and layers of our experiences as women in relation to our reproductive uh, organs and systems and, and abilities, a circle of women who had a hysterectomy. So all phases and all occurrences in our lives as women are rites of passage, and they need to be honored, and there are always going to be other women who have been there. And when we sit together and share this in the company of other women who have gone through something similar, it is profound. The healing that happens is really profound. So the red tent is, is a container or a womb that all of our um, stepping stones and, and markers in our journey as women can be and need to be honored there. And motherhood and, is obviously one. Well, and, you know, I'm so glad to hear you saying this because it feels like to me, um, well, I mean, I, I probably feels like to all of us that patriarchy is a callous culture. 
And all of these things you're talking about, you know, abortion, miscarriages, hysterectomies, I mean, all of these different things that women go through and only women go through, and our male-dominated culture sort of just acts like it's, you know, it's no friggin' big deal. You know, you have Republicans out there, they don't think anything of, you know, making a law that a woman's got to have a vaginal probe, you know, stuck up her yoni because she dares want to exercise her uh, right to an abortion. Who cares? Maybe it's because she has to save her life, you know. It, it's, it really angers me, and I guess maybe you can yeah. hear that in my voice, yeah. but it yeah. angers me how women are so... Uh, marginalized, how they're suffering, you know, the things that they go through by the very virtue that we have, the internal organs that we have, um, that these things that that we experience and either suffer with um, or endure, or sometimes it's wonderful, of course, but it's, um, I, I keep going back to, you know, it, it's just no big deal, you know. It, it, and um, I, I think the red tents maybe are finally a way to put, you know, put some emphasis on this and say, look, this is, this is important stuff women are going through. You know, pay attention. Yes. Because we can't wait for society to make a big deal out of it. Like you said, you live in, we live in patriarchy, but in the red tent we can make it a big deal. And when women who also may have internalized the no big deal attitude of the culture around them, when they sit in red tent and they share miscarriages or hysterectomies or abortions or any other event in their lives as women, they realize they're not alone. They realize how much emotions they share with other women who've been in the same boat and have experienced the same experience and by definition it becomes a big deal and we realize and wake up to the fact that this is hugely important and we share it and we can heal together rather than be in isolation suffering alone and thinking that it really is it shouldn't be a big deal because that's what the culture tells us Right, right. Well, um, before your time is up, Deanna, I want I want yes. to ask you a couple other things you wanted to get to. What do women need to know about PMS? Well, I'd like to tell women that PMS is not a necessity. Women think because the medical model, the medical uh, patriarchal uh, model of, of medicine has been telling us that this is a, a necessary evil that we need to live with and they're medicating us uh, in order to kind of manage it. Well, I'd like to say that this is not how we are designed. Our body is not designed to suffer every month. We don't have to suffer. And in my experience, um, I'd say 100% of the women that I worked with, and obviously it's anecdotal because I haven't worked with millions, but I've worked with thousands, and anyone that I've worked with that suffered PMS and started honoring her blood and started honoring her cyclicity and started embracing herself as a cyclical being and honoring every month the shedding of the inner lining of her womb, gradually her symptoms diminished and all the way disappeared. So really what the symptoms of PMS are a way of our body to tell us that we need to pay attention. 
that we need to stop, that we can't be pushing through the fact that our body is bleeding and yearning to go inward. We can't push through that and pretend this is the same as every other day of the month. So our body giving us symptoms is actually calling our attention. This is not something that is to be ignored, and it's definitely not something that is to be medicated. It is something to be paid attention to. Stop. Go inside, listen, see what your depth is wanting to reveal to you. And the PMS would start month by month dissolving and falling off like the, the onion skin because it would not be necessary anymore. There would be no need to call our attention to our, our, our cyclicity if we are indeed honoring it ourselves voluntarily and, and reveling in it. You know, I wonder if, uh, I, I mean, look, my mother called it, the, uh, you know, um, called it being sick. You know, we hear people call it the curse. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if we are just falling victim to the negative propaganda about it, you know, or big pharma wanting to make money off of us. Absolutely. There is a billion-dollar industry, pharmaceutical industry, that is medicating women. And obviously they don't want women to stop having symptoms. And they have brainwashed us to the extent that we think that it is normal to have symptoms. And all we need to do is medicate. And that is almost a lifelong occupation because, you know, in the same way that they have you buy tampons and and, uh, pads every month, they have you buy medication every month and they have you hooked. And neither of them is necessary. Neither the symptoms nor the, the... pads and the tampons that are really polluting the environment in a, in a huge way. Speak to that a little bit, Deanna. What, what are some of the options women can use besides the, you know, the boxed Kotex yeah. and things? Yeah. So let me start by saying that the boxed Kotex thing is the not only Kotex, but all of the um, disposable menstrual products are the number two pollutants and and fillers of landfill. Number one is baby diapers, and number two are feminine hygiene products. And in the U.S. alone, every year, 12 billion products go to the landfill in U.S. alone every year. So the alternatives are, first of all, menstrual cloth pads. That's what our grandmother used. Cloth pads are soft are natural, they're not treated with anything, all the disposables are are bleached and treated with chemicals that are not good for us. Um, We can catch our blood with either a cloth pad, which we can soak in water, which I've been doing for 20 years, soaking it with water and feeding it to my plants, and my plants have never been happier. There's no fertilizer on the planet that is so potent because the inner lining of our womb that we shed is full of nutrients, that would have nourished the baby if we hadn't shed it, if we conceived. And as soon as we shed it, it is still as potent and as full of nutrients as it was in our womb. So the plants love it. Uh, another alternative are there are various. Um, there, I, I don't. Well, I, I don't want to advertise any company, but there is the Diva Cup, the Luna Cup, the Keeper. So there are there are various um, brand names there of a little goblet which can be latex-free or rubber-free, uh, rubber or latex-free or whatever, that is uh, acts a little bit like a diaphragm, but it's a, a more of an elongated goblet kind of a shape where, that you insert and you catch blood, your blood at source. And um, 
that's another option. A third option is sea sponge, which is a natural product coming from the sea. Uh, it's been used for cosmetics. Now women are using it as, as a natural tampon, reusable. So those are three of the main alternatives. The last one you said, could you say what it's called again? Sea sponge. Sea sponge. And where yes. can women find out more about these? So I would Google menstrual cloth pads. There are hundreds, uh, anywhere from big companies that make them, like Luna Pad and Glad Rags, all the way to um, moms who are stay-at-home and, and sew them by hand. So you will find many. They might be in your local health food store as well. Uh, same with the Keeper, the Diva Cup, the Moon Cup. They're all brand names. You can Google those. And sea sponges I usually find in health food stores at the cosmetic department. They sell them as an alternative to um, cotton balls. So you can buy them. They're little uh, sea sponges. I don't know of any brand name. They're just sea sponges. And um, So, so Deanna, the obvious question here, and, um, you know, if, you're, if you have a heavy flow, um, yes. can you still use stuff like that, or are you kind yes. of asking for maybe a mess? No, not at all. Uh, all the cloth pads that are sold these days, they have a variety of thicknesses and they have inserts within inserts. So there is the goddess size and, you know, you can have, um, I, I've never bled through them, the keeper or the Luna pad, uh, Luna uh, cup that you put in holds up to four uh out up to two ounces, and a woman in throughout her bleeding days, every cycle doesn't bleed more than four ounces. So you know it's it's pretty much. So you can just rinse it out, and it, yes. so I mean you can go about your daily business with that yes. inserted, and yes. uh, and with the same confidence that you would yes. one of these pads that you know yes. are clogging up the landfill. Yes. Absolutely. And, and you can reuse it and not have to keep buying stuff every month. Exactly. Wonderful. If you think of how much you're paying every month and uh, multiply it by the years that you bleed, every woman does, you know, it's a huge amount of saving. Tiana, I am so grateful for you being on the show tonight. You have, you have said so much in this 15 minutes. I mean, you have given so many different ways that things can be different for our daughters than it was for us growing up. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. It's my pleasure, Karen. Thank you so much for hosting us all. And uh, listeners, uh, Deanna's website again is D-E-A-N-N-A-L-A-M dot com, Deanna Lamb. Thank you so much, Deanna. Sure, my pleasure. And if you've just tuned in with us, uh, this is uh, Karen Tate on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. I am co-hosting, uh, well, I, I, I have a co-host with me tonight. Can you tell I'm not used to saying that? Um, it is my pleasure to have co-hosting with me tonight um, Isadora Leiden-Frost, who is the uh, documentary filmmaker of uh, Things We Don't Talk About. Are you still with me there, Isadora? I sure am, and Deanna was amazing. I loved hearing her talk. I know. You know, I didn't even know about the sponges in the in the in the goblet she talked about. I'm gonna. I want to go run out and find one and see what they look like. Uh, but if we get a chance um, uh, later on, Isadora, I want to talk more about your textiles. 
research in the menstrual huts a little bit. But uh, Alexis is on the line now, and I want to say uh, hello to Alexis. Hi, Alexis. Hi, Karen. Hi, Isadora. Well, Alexis was with us just recently. Uh, I had a show uh, on about uh, the uh, goddess artifacts uh, of Malta, uh, and I'm glad that Alexis is back with us again. Uh, Alexis is a Ph.D. student uh, in women's spirituality at the California Institute of Integral Studies. She hosts a monthly Red Tent Circle and has been dedicated to the study of goddess herstory for over a decade. She's also passionate about reclaiming goddess herstory, healing sexual violence, and decolonizing minds. So, Alexis, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. So tell me what you mean by decolonizing minds. I like how that sounds, but I'm not sure I know what it means. Well, I think it's it's just this idea of rethinking how we see the divine and how we situate it. Is it this big man in the sky with a white beard sitting on a cloud? Or is it is is the is the divine available within us? Is it available in our gardens and our sisters? You know, it's 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 questioning that idea of, of what divinity is and and how we understand it to be. No, I understand. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it really sort of uh, expands the little box that uh, we've been mm-hmm. living in, again, under, un- under patriarchy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we, we're sort of taught to think very small and uh, not think outside the box, and this really expands us and empowers us. Um, you know, today uh, uh, Queen Latifah on her talk show uh, had a bunch of women on, and I T-voted, it, and I, I'm going to go look at it later on tonight, but it sounded like they were finally talking about stuff women cared about that wasn't babies, recipes, what the Kardashians are wearing. Um, (laughs) In fact, they opened the show by using Madeleine Albright's quote uh, that goes something like, um, there's a special place reserved in hell for women who don't support other women. And as soon as I heard that, I said to Roy, Roy, please, Chivo that for me. I have to go. (laughs) Uh, I have to watch it tonight after the show. Um, So I don't know. That sort of just all fits into the decolonized minds idea I guess Alexis forgive my my ramble there no I love it um so what made you decide to create a red tent well I think my story is a little unique I had never heard of the red tent movement I hadn't read the book and I was on Facebook and someone had shared the trailer for the Red Tent uh, film, Isadora's film, before it came out. And I was obsessed with that trailer. I think I must have watched it like 40 times in one night. And I was like, I must have this movie. And so I hunted down um, Isadora on her Etsy page. And I messaged her and was just like, oh, I'm just so impassioned by what you're saying. And I just love your message. And I want a copy of, of... this film and she was she was so kind and dealing with my blubbering self and then she um we messaged back and forth by email and i was like you know there's no red tent in my area and i really want to go with one go to one and she was just like well start one yourself and i was like what like how is that possible can i do that do i have the authority to do that 
Like, I wasn't <laughs> sure. <laughs> you decolonized <laughs> your mind. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so um, Isadora then became, and I know she's on the phone, I'll try not to cry, but she has been such, like, an amazing, like, way shower for me. She uh, answered so many questions I had about the red tent. She introduced me to Elisa Starkweather, who... Um, is an amazing, amazing woman and founder of all these Red Ten Circles who uh, does a monthly um, conference call for to support other women. So even though what I have found in, and I'm still just rambling on, but what I have found in starting the Red Tents is there's actually this like red web of Red Tents of women all over who support each other. Even though if you're not in that space, you're still supporting and helping each other and and, and answering questions and, and giving advice. And it's just been so affirming to have women not be catty but support one another. Yes, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a nice change of pace. Um, well, you know, that's the new mantra of goddess spirituality, you know, and I think we all need to tattoo it on our forehead. Girls compete, <laughs> women empower. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. So you're saying this support goes beyond just the confines of the red fabric, that you can feel yes. that web growing in the, in, in the world beyond that one meeting in that one tent. No, it, it's true. And, you know, when when I first wanted to go to a red tent, there there wasn't in my area. Now there are three red tents within 20 minutes driving distance from my house. Incredible. I mean, Incredible. That, that's amazing. Just how, and, and none of them are in competition with each other. These right, women right. Are, are sharing the things that they are learning. And, you know, if women, you know, can, can't go to one red tent, they go to another. I mean, it's beautiful. There's no competition. It's just, you know, a providing that space, which is such a gift. So do we beautiful. think, I mean, because I really don't know the answer to this question, is it mm-hmm. Isadora's film that really broke this broke this um broke this open and and sort of got the ball rolling to you know spread the word was is that how it happened well for me that that's definitely where it started but then i think it's the interweaving of all of the women helping like i i already talked about isadora and elisa but you know when when i first started learning about red tents like i emailed Deanna and was like, can I be part of your class? Because she has these online classes. And I was just like, I want to do everything. I want to be part of everything. And everyone was so supportive. And I don't know a lot of other women's women's spaces where you have that kind of support. Right. Well, well, Isadora, um, you're still there with us. Um, Do you think the film was instrumental in, in, you know, birthing more of these red tents? It had to be, huh? Oh, absolutely. I I think, you know, my intention, before I start any film, and I've made 13 films, I always come up with a goal. Like, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? And very clearly, the intention always was, I'm doing this because I want to inspire more women to start doing red tents. 
So every single morning when I got up to shoot things or edit certain pieces of footage, that's the mission that I kept in my mind about why I was going to spend 25,000 hours of my life doing this. And, wow. <laughs> you know, it, it worked. And I think that was probably one of the reasons why Elisa asked me if I would make a little short PR video because she knew the power of film. She knew that, you know, um, it's really important for us to be gathering in person. It's really important for us to be gathering on little virtual Facebook groups or whatever. But how do we reach the women who don't have never heard of anything like this? How do we reach the women who, you know, they might live, you know, very far in a very remote area and they don't have a red tent in their neighborhood? How can they experience a red tent too? And I found a lot of women who, you know, just like Alexis just said, where she watched the trailer or she watched the film, and then now she's, you know, inspiring women in her own community. That is the goal right there. And that, you know, that's fantastic that, you know, she's followed through on that. I mean, Alexis is really, you know, and a lot of the women that we're going to be hearing from tonight, these are the pioneers of the movement. They are the reason why there are so many. You know, the film represents something important, and the stories that are represented in, in the, you know, within the Red Tent movement are valuable, and that's why women are creating them, because they're universal stories, but it's actually the women who are hosting the Red Tents every single month or every single week, or every single quarter of the year, or whenever they're doing it. They're the women, they're the ones that are changing women's lives. Okay. Well, Alexis, um, how, did, all right, so you, you know, you sort of came at this, and you just, and you fell in love with the idea, and you, and you were, you were willing to give it a shot, and, uh, and, and do a red tent. How did you find the women? I mean, um, where did they come from? Because I, I, I'm imagining there are women listening that are saying, gee, I'd sure like to have a red tent, but how do I get people to show up? Well, I, for me, what I did was I just reached out to the women that I knew um, and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. This is what it looked like. And I sent them a, a, a link to the trailer so they could get an idea of um, what it was. And I said, would you be interested? And I got an overwhelming response. And just like you asked, um, I think it was Isadora earlier, if uh, women from different faiths, came to the Red Tent, I had devoutly Christian women, Buddhist women, all these different um, women from different religious backgrounds who were present but wanted to relish in what we had in common and share our stories. That's beautiful. I think it's it's something that women long for, for that community. I think so. I I think women are missing this. I mean, I know even when I read the book, The Red Tent, I thought, I want that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I want that, but there was nothing like that then, you know. Yeah. So what is your favorite aspect of the Red Tent, Alexis? My favorite aspect of the Red Tent is about the intergenerational voices, about um, women who are um, who are menstruating, women who are not, and coming together and sharing things. I mean, in the Red Tent we've had women talk about how they are about giving birth for the first time or they're going through a large transition and they don't know how to deal with it and there's other women who can share their stories and because of the sacredness of this space there doesn't seem to be that judgment women can just share and and be heard and listened 
So do you think this is this is helping um, make women's business? I'm just going to call it. I mean, I know that's the Aboriginal term, but it seems appropriate Mm -hmm. for all of this. You know, um, do you think um, we are restoring the sacredness to women's business with these red tents? Oh, I think I think completely because women are showing that they you know don't have to be that stereotypical catty behavior. You know, women are sitting around talking and creating their own conversation without being, without someone else determining what that conversation will be. You know, you just go into the red tent and you find out what's going to happen when you're there. It's beautiful. It's unscripted. And I would imagine it's as participatory as you'd like it to be. If you don't Mm -hmm. want to share, no one forces you to, uh, that, that kind of thing. Yes, yes. In, 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 in Isadora's film, there's, there's um, a scene where a woman comes in and she's like, I'm not going to talk. I have nothing to say. And then by the end, she, she wants to talk. And I, and, but that's a woman's choice. It's her choice when she chooses to share her voice. I've had um, women come to the red tent and just take a nap because that was the only time that they weren't around their, their children and all of these other things that were always pulling at them. It was a space where they could just relax. Right. And that's, right. that's fine, too. You, you just accept women as they are in the space that they're in at that moment. You know, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be fun to have a red, red tent where they serve pina coladas and Mai Tais? <laughs> 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 At least once a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Alexis, anything else you want to share before we go on to Astrid? Because I see how she's popped up on the switchboard. Well, I would just encourage any of the women listening who don't have a red tent in their area to reach out and um, know that they're that they're going to be fine, and there is a support system to help them, um, and to go for it. To do okay. It. It's so rewarding. Alexis, thank you so very much. Thank you for tonight, and thank you for the show a few weeks ago on the um, Sacred Goddess Artifacts of Malta. And uh, we had really good response to that show. So uh, thank Yay. you so much for for doing what you're doing out there in the world. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you, Karen, and thank you again for letting me come on and ramble, and thank you, Isadora, for being so wonderful. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, well, good night, Alexis. I'm sure I'll see you soon. Okay. Well, listeners, um, we have our next uh, our next woman up. Um, we have with us uh, Astrid Grove. Uh, she is a midwife, a mother, uh, and uh, a keeper of the women's mysteries. She has initiated many moon lodges across the country and regularly mentors women in creating sacred women's space in their own communities. She teaches at the Wise Woman University, Aviva College, and Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium. She currently dwells uh, oceanside with her husband, her daughter, and her two cats in Santa Cruz, California. And you can learn more about her at her website, which is birthrootmidwife.com. That's birthrootmidwife.com. So, Astrid, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much. It feels great to be in a red tent with you women right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I think we've been having a great time. I'm so glad to have my co-host with me, Isadora Leedenfrost from the film um, Things We Don't Talk About. And um, I, why don't we just start, Astrid, with how you learned about the Red Tent? You know, I learned about the Red Tent about 15 years ago, and it came in a very interesting and unique way, just in a personal meditation of mine where I was called to gather women together in ceremony, specifically around the moon. And so I had no idea what this meant, and I just started to do that. And through starting to gather women together, I started to learn more about other women gathering women together, and um, that's why I learned about Moon Lodge which now is pretty interchangeable with the Red Tent or the Red Temple or the Red Tent Temple. Um, but then, 15 years ago, the, the book The Red Tent hadn't um, gained popularity yet. And so when I went out seeking you know, to gather with the women and started learning, what I learned about was Moon Lodge. But it's really essentially the same thing. It's gathering women together together. There's often a theme of red. It's about, you know, honoring our cycles, honoring what it means to be women. Um, specifically, the way that I, over the years, have started to frame it is um, specifically we gather on the dark of the moon every month. And, um, you know, when I think about it, it seems as though, for me, Moon Lodge has become more of the ceremony that happens within the red tent. Um, where the red tent is more the space that's created that we all gather within. And so here in my community, we have a very specific ceremony that we do every month on the dark of the moon. We gather and we have a very you know, intentional ceremony that we do. We, we gather together. We gather our community together. We call in the directions. We do some sort of body of the ceremony, whether it's healing work with each other or some arts and crafts, then we pass a talking <coughs> stick, then we sing a song in which we state our intention for the month. And I think that is one of the more powerful um, pieces of work that we do in our Moon Lodge is we state an intention for the month, something that we want to work on and be accountable for and be witnessed to. And, I see. Um, yeah. So, so yours is, I mean, you're just proof how eclectic the red tent or the moon lodges can really be, where you sort of have a structure uh, and, and you do it sort of in, quote, ritual space, you know, calling the corners and stuff. But, you know, you don't have to do it that way. But you, you just choose to, and that's what your community has gotten used to. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I actually met Isadora many years ago at a women's gathering that we both go to. And I went to this gathering the, the, right after I read the book, The Red Tent, for the first time. And um, I went to this gathering and I said to myself, why isn't there a red tent? Why isn't there a place where we can go and simply just be, just be women, just be together? You know, there is so much, um, you know, the, the simplicity of the power of bringing back this women's spirituality and women's empowerment. It's so, the simplicity of it is just gathering. Right. You know? Just right, getting right. together, you know, in a sacred way, just getting together and really dropping in together. And just like everyone has been saying, I've been listening in. It's been so beautiful to, to just feel mirrored by all of the words today. But 
Um, yeah, yeah, and there and there is so much to say, um, and and you know, especially in our culture that marginalizes women. You know, we have you know people we hear every day on television if we turn on the news. You know, trying to deny women access to contraception, trying to de- deny women action uh, access to birth control. You know, we had insurance companies you know calling being a woman a pre-existing condition. I mean, we get all sorts of signals out there. Um, that, uh, you know, that makes it tough to be a woman. But, you know, these moon lodges, these red tents, you know, this is sort of, I, you know, it's, it can be a sanctuary for a woman is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and it's no coincidence to me that, you know, like Isadora said, the red tents are on the rise and it's happening more and more because this time that we're in, the further we get away from what it means to be a woman, the we're not it's, we're not being honored culturally. We're more honored to like work harder and do more instead of take good care, self care, being together, honoring our cycles. It's not a coincidence to me that they are on the rise right now because this planet needs the women and and what we do can be so invisible, you know. Right. Well, it's taken for granted, you know. I mean, I I mean, not to. I mean, just looking at it from an economic perspective, you know, if we lived in Scandinavia, um, you know, if a woman had to stay home and take care of her children or take care of her aging parents, she would get something akin to social security. Here, that caregiving is worthless in a sense. You know, she gets nothing. She gets the excuse me, the sort of shit end of the stick when it's all over, when she has no social security, she has no retirement, simply because she has done the thing that women do best, you know, uh, nurturing, caring, sharing, you know, giving of ourselves. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like to me that the red tents could almost be the um the the where a groundswell could begin where women start to say you know I'm sick and tired of this and this isn't the way it has to be you know it it can be different yeah and just imagining that woman you were talking about in Scandinavia at home with the husband the kids the, the endless grueling work and just imagine that woman who says oh it's the dark moon Today I go to Moon Lodge or today I go to the Red Tent. You can figure it out, everyone. I'm leaving. And she goes and she rests and she cries and she's held and she holds and she drinks sacred tea and she learns things from her elders and she teaches things to the younger ones. You know, and she returns home that night. What a different, what a different life that would be to return well, home. You know, it, the work is always there. The work will always be there. But how we can integrate you know go ahead well well it well it i I think it it refreshes us it revives us it um it 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 gives us uh i'm struggling for the word but like when you go on vacation and you come back refreshed um and i and i remember in the in the book um that's what the women said you know that week they all happened to have their menses at the same time and all the women were in the red tent together the men had to fend for themselves and they did just fine <laughs> but, but but you know it's almost like the idea of when you're on the airplane you know and the face masks come down you know you put one on yourself first because if you don't have self-care then you really it's not a selfish thing you really can't do your the best job of taking care of the people you're responsible for yeah and let's talk about the self-care piece too because i'm a new mom my my child isn't two years yet and there's a lot of new moms in my life as a midwife and 
you know, we can't always go to Moon Lodge right now. I mean, it's just not practical and not even what I want to do, actually. And so every month, finding a way that I can have my own red tent, my own sacred space, whether it's drawing a bath and lighting a candle or doing a, a, you know, a tarot card reading in the darkness of my room, you know, or laying outside by myself, you know, the little things by myself seem so big, you know, but just finding, you know, it is, it's so much about self-care, as, you know, as well as all of the other things, but I wanted to bring that message today, too, of just how can we take it home if, you know, if, it, if perhaps we aren't in a space in our life that we want to necessarily gather, or maybe we don't want to start a rent tent and there isn't one in our area, how can we start it in our own bedroom, in our own bathroom, in our, you know, in our own bodies, that self-care? And, and Diana, just speaking about like honoring our menses in that way, that's the red tent, honoring our menses, catching our, our blood, you know. Yeah, you know, giving yourself a day where you don't get out of your pajamas and you don't put makeup on and you just, uh, you know, give yourself permission to to just just be. Yeah, or even wearing um, a specific piece of jewelry when we menstruate, even if we're going to work that day, wearing a piece of jewelry, you know, that we, oh, okay, I'm going to put on my moonstone necklace today. I meant, you know, just something to honor and to mark you know, what makes us women. and um, I'm wondering, Astrid, if you, I, it was on all the, uh, it was on the national news today, uh, since, you're, uh, since you're a midwife, did you happen to see the uh, eight-year-old girl who delivered the baby for her mother in, 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 at home in their bathroom? I have not. Well, it was a pretty incredible story. This little girl, eight years old, with the help of a, a 911 uh, operator, uh, actually the mother mother delivered the baby really quickly uh, in the matter of 10 minutes, it seemed like. Uh, this, this little girl actually delivered the baby, had to go look for a shoestring to tie off the umbilical cord. Uh, it was it was incredible, um, and you know, and I I, I don't know. I'm, I was thinking about the bond between that that mother and daughter and that new baby, and the bonds that probably are created uh, among women in these red tents. Yes, I mean a lot of the women on this call today, I've sat in a red tent with and. You know, I think of them and, like, I love them in an even deeper way than I would have if I had not shared in their deep unfoldings of who they are as women, like seeing them in their celebrations, seeing them in their hard times, you know, and, be, and being seen myself that way. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, we, we're, we need to hold each other and... No. Yes, yeah, support one another. Well, we have support probably uh, a minute and a half to two minutes, and I see that um, uh, our our next uh, wonderful woman, Oceana, is on the switchboard. We're going to get to her in a second. Uh, but would you, what would you like to share, Astra? Did you want to talk about Wise Women University or something else in these closing minutes of our time? Sure. So one of my mentors is Susan Weed, who many people know and love. Um, and she started the Wise Woman University, which is an online university. And there's many amazing classes offered through this university. And I have the honor of teaching a couple of them, Creating a Moon Lodge and Conscious Menstruation. Um, so I get to mentor women through, through that site. And I also am just very, very available 
I love talking about Moon Lodge. I love talking about the red tent. Um, there's, you know, like uh, Alexis was saying, there's such a web of support. And I, it's my greatest honor to be part of that web of support. And, um, you know, just being, yeah, it can be a lot to, to jump in, like Alexis did, just jump in and do it. And, you know, I love, I love fielding questions and just propping women up and, like, helping well, you know, them believe I, in themselves, you know. I think sometimes women, we, you know, we hold ourselves to such a high standard, you know, and we don't want to do something unless we can be perfect at it. And, you know, sometimes we have to, you know, uh, you know, just go with the idea of on-the-job training and we, we figure it out because, you know what, we're pretty damn good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Astrid, thank you so much uh, for, you know, sharing your insights uh, tonight. And uh, let me just mention your website again for listeners who uh, – especially if they're in the Santa Cruz area, Northern California, uh, birthrootmidwife.com, B-I-R-T-H-R-O-O-T, midwife.com. Thank you so much, Astrid, for being with us on uh, tonight's uh, tribute to the Red Tent Movement. Mm, Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Isadora, are you still there with me? I absolutely am. You're being so quiet. Um, is there anything you want to share at this point before we um, invite uh, our next guest, uh, Oceana, to uh, speak with us? Oh, Oceana, well, first of all, I just want to say, I say thank you to my wonderful and dear Red Tent sister, Astrid, for her wonderful help over the years and for being part of the film and for just inspiring me. She just is a miraculous woman, and she's t- such a champion to so many women. And Oceana, who's going to be up next, is, is also very much of that same caliber of women who just, you know, really supports and honors and really respects women, and she's definitely shown me that. Well, great. Well, great. Well, um, next up, um, you've heard us uh, drop her name a couple times. Uh, we have uh, o- Oceana LeBlanc on the show. Uh, I wonder if that's how she pronounces it. That's how we would pronounce it down in New Orleans, where I come from. Uh, she is a spiritual teacher, inspirational thought leader, tantric yogi and shaman who's been a pioneer in the red tent movement for almost seven years she's featured on the cover and in the movie documentary the red tent things we don't talk about and has mentored women internationally in the raising of their community red tents passionate about helping women to embrace their divinity and personal power her work imbues them with a deep experience of their inherent sensuality, confidence, and wholeness. She can be reached to work with individuals who desire to raise their own red tent and step into leadership, as well as those wanting to deepen spiritual and sensual intimacy with their significant others. Uh, She also has online programs as well as retreats and workshops and a line of personal care products. Oceana, no wonder you weren't sure if you were going to be able to make it tonight. You're a busy lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I just flew in and heard the tail end of Astra's wonderful conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm so glad you're with us. Let me just uh, say your website real quick in case we forget. Uh, It's goddessoceana.com, goddessoceana.com. So, uh, Oceana, uh, what was your uh, first introduction to women's mysteries and, and anything inspired you that you feel you want to mention to listeners? 
Well, way back in 1993 was my, I, I really believe, my first outstanding memory of, of women's mysteries, and it was uh, the book, Her Blood is Gold by Lara Owen. And I read that book, and it truly changed my relationship to my body. Um, it empowered me to feel the sacredness of woman, womanhood, and it really encouraged me to go inward and pay close attention to my dreams. And um, it gave me a very um, empowered view of my my essence as a feminine being. So it got me in touch with what, what I heard a little bit of what Astrid was talking about, and I'm sure all the women are talking about in the red tent, is really being very in tune with your cycle and, um, you know, honoring the blood that that comes from the vortex of creation that we embody. Oh, um, Shanna, let me, let me ask you something. You know, we, you know, we talk probably in what some people might call metaphor. But when you mm-hmm. say honoring the blood, what does mm-hmm. that what does that mean in a literal sense? How does a woman honor her blood? Well, first it's just by acknowledging that it's a beautiful, pure and precious thing as opposed to something that we've been sort of you know, this cultural impression that it's dirty, it's a nuisance. Um, it's something you don't want to have to deal with. Um, so it's the opposite of that, actually. And that book taught me that it is absolutely precious. So honoring it, we can um, start to pay attention, start to really look at what color is is it this month and, and you know, what what consistency is it and how does that reflect my health at this time or maybe something I'm going through. Also honoring... Um, some women like to collect it and give it back to the earth. Maybe um, use flannel pads instead of the store-bought ones, and you know, put them in a in a beautiful bowl, and then use that water to water the garden and give it back to the plants. And people, and a lot of women with women's mysteries really start to um, view their blood as sacred. And, and, I, and I know some women actually use the menstrual blood in, in sacred rituals, you know. Um, I know this might, might sound crazy, but I'll just say it. I mean, you know, we're not shy here. Um, you know, you may take a little bit of the blood and maybe, you know, dab it on your goddess statue or make an offering of your blood that came off the pad, you know, to the goddess, you know, thanking her for your health or whatever it is, you know, thanking her for Absolutely. you being a woman. You know, I mean, I, I don't yeah. think that, you know, maybe that sounds crazy, but I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> Well, it, it's so not crazy, and this was the thing. I mean, when I read that book way back when I was 33, I mean, 1993, it's a while now, um, I was, you know, I was so stunned and also so excited, but I really didn't have anybody to share that with. And there's this, you know, thinking, you know, people are going to think that I'm crazy, right, if, they, if I tell them that I'm, you know, I'm doing ritual with my blood. Uh, but actually now more and more women in the Red Tent are, are learning about this, and all the women that are leaders that, that have gone before us, the wise women, have been doing this forever. 
um, you know, women that take their blood and let it dry in a little container and then use it to um, add water and paint a sacred drum or ritual object later. Um, There are so many ways, um, you know, anointing a chakra or an energy center with Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, when we go back in history, I mean, there are even tantric practices that are extremely powerful that have to do with the blood. It's considered absolutely sacred and incredibly powerful. Like it really holds a tremendous amount of power. And I think especially when a woman is starting to near the end, when she knows her body is no longer going to produce that anymore. Um, I mean, I hear of women who save it in a jar in the refrigerator you know, um, and like you said, you know, if they want to, they can uh, dilute it with water and, you know, try to, you know, stretch out the the time that they have access to it, you know? Right. Well, the beautiful thing about letting it dry is it dries to a powder and then you can, it's almost like an ink, you know, you can add water to it later. And that's something I learned from Leah Jean's daughter, who was really, really a great teacher for me, of women's mystery with with the moon time blood, um, and that was something she used to do. Okay. Um, well, Oceana, some of the stuff you were going to talk about we've sort of already covered, but what mm-hmm. what do you feel is the most important thing you want to share tonight, you know, you, since you have this platform to talk about your experience with the red tent? You know, what, what, you know what's uh, you know, what, what really stokes your passion about this movement? I think what stokes my passion about it um, personally is all of the things that I was missing, some of which I didn't even know I was missing, but much of which I longed for, um, became possible for me with the Red Tent. Like, suddenly I had that community I longed for, I had that sisterhood I longed for, I had that support that I longed for, um, and the depth of, of relationship with women and with the feminine divine for me personally. Um, and I think that that, to me, was what carried my, my deep commitment to it, is that I wanted women worldwide to be connected because I, I really feel, like, very, I really feel passionately that for women to feel and to begin to gather together in community and leave together and start to know each other, um, that that is really and truly what's going to begin to heal this planet. And right. uh, it's pretty crucial in our time. And so, yeah, that would be, if I had to say the most important thing, it's like if, if you don't have a red tent and you want one, start one. Start one. Start one. And, then, and then how did you come. how did you go about finding people, and how many people generally attend a red tent? Well, it could be a, one woman, or it could be sixty or a hundred. I mean, it really depends on the woman and her her network and how how um, you know how many people she invites, uh, how open she is to having women that she doesn't know. For me, I started with just by inviting every woman that I knew and every woman that I was connected to, and I would call them personally and have them call their friends. And I always, always um, encouraged women to bring friends and relatives, sisters and daughters and mothers and aunts and grandmothers 
so there was never any, um, you know. And then there are also red tents where it's just a small group of women that want to keep it private, and it's for them. So there's not really a, a rule, but, um, you know, my tent happened to be one where my intention was to spread this movement, to spread red tents, and so I wanted as many women as possible to be exposed to it to, and to encourage them to go out and do it. Okay. And um, it, we still have a minute or two. Um, does Is there one moment in all of the red tents that you've done, is there is there one touching moment that stands out, of, uh, you know, above the rest that you might want to share with listeners? Oh, wow. <laughs> there were so many moments. I would say, oh, boy, um, there is one moment. There was a woman who started with me at the very first red tent, and she is the one woman that is still remaining seven years later. She still comes. Um, and she started with two little boys, and by the time four or five years had gone by, I remember her showing up at Circle, and she was already exhausted, exhausted, and she showed up to announce that she was pregnant not only with one but with twins and she was going to have four little boys under the age of seven (laughs) or younger, I think. And um, I think it was just this profound moment of seeing her so vulnerable and yet these women that held her and loved her just stepped right up. Women that she might not have known before, you know, uh, might not have ever met, but because we were in this place where women... And all women were welcome. You you get that opportunity to meet women you may never have associated with or may not have seen in certain social circles. And so, you know, all these women that she had connected with were reaching out to see how they could support her and um, step up and, you know, let me know when you have the babies, if you need anything, and I'll be there. And that kind of... um, community is possible and it was so moving to me well you know and what i hear you saying is uh something that i know we talk about in our community you know especially here in la we are so um disjointed by the in in the sense that we're you know la is so spread out you know you may drive an hour Mm -hmm. to get to a friend's house you know, mm-hmm. and this, and it, but yet in ancient times we imagine that you know people lived in smaller communities and tribes, and women did have their menses maybe at the same time, or a lot of them did, and there there was so much more of a community. And it sounds like to me these red tents are helping women restore community and um, and help them take care of one another. Um, you know, the the caring, the sharing, the nurturing, the things that, you know, women really do, uh, you know, really does come more naturally, I think, to women. Absolutely. And that, that, that really is the crux of it, is that the communities are being woven together again. And I think that there is power in that of healing. And that with, <clears throat> without that community on this planet, um, you know, I don't think we can really survive in a whole in a holistic way. I, I agree with you. I I think this is this is all part of the puzzle. You know, the sacred tent. Uh, you know, the the red tents are playing their role in 
you know, I think this new paradigm shift, you know, where we uh, are learning to be interconnected again. Um, and, and, and we understand the value of that, uh, and, and we understand how disconnected and separated, uh, you know, our culture has made us be. And, you know, we're saying, you know, no more, you know, we're, we're going to fix yeah. it. Um, well, Oceana, um, thank you. And for listeners who want to know more uh, about uh, Oceana, what, uh, LeBlanc, where, or is, that, is it Oceana LeBlanc? Is that how you say your last name? Yes, LeBlanc, yep. Le, LeBlanc. What part of the country are you in, Oceana? I'm in central Massachusetts. Okay. Oh, that's right. You said East Coast. I remember now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so listeners, anyone in that area looking for a red tent, um, her website is goddessoceana.com. Oceana, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been a pleasure, oh, yeah. and, and thank you, Isadora. <laughs> well, thank you so much. So, Isadora, we're about uh, ready to, um, you know, tackle our uh, our last uh, our last facilitator here. Thank you for hanging in there with me as my co-host tonight. My pleasure. Um, so, listeners, uh, we are about ready to say hello to uh, Lushanya, um, and I'm, I know I'm going to murder her name, uh, Lush, Lushanya Lush. Why don't you just say your own name. <laughs> uh, why don't you, you go ahead and, and, and introduce yourself, please, because I'm not doing a good job of pronouncing your name. Hi, Karen. My name, it's Lushanya. You said the first name right, Lushanya, and my last name is Echevidia. Okay, thank you. And Lu, it, she is a professional educator who guides and leads individuals to bold confidence and in personal intuition and instincts. Uh, she's a of Lakota heritage, uh, inherently integrated with her professional trainings uh, in public education, anti-racist activism, and nonprofit administration. Um, is the foundation of in her Lakota training is the foundation of her coaching uh, and mentoring work. Uh, paired with understanding and embracing responsibility for her personal experience of disadvantage and discrimination, uh, Lushanya integrates spiritual principles and transformative technology to further the work of sharing the traditional teachings and sacred ceremonies of the Lakota people. And she provides an understanding of different Native American cultures today and historically from the perspectives of a modern Native American woman. So, welcome to the show. And am I am, am I remembering properly? Or aren't the Lakota uh, matriarchal, matrilineal, matrifocal, something like that? Indeed, they are a matriarchal society by nature. Yes. So, um, it, so I, I guess we could say that uh, on this continent, uh, your ancestors uh, were the people who were getting it right from the beginning, and <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the, those wonderful ideas, um, you know, are making a comeback today. I, I hope, anyway. We, we actually, Karen, could say that many of the indigenous tribes, um, American tribes, were of, were of matriarchal um, society. It was when the colonists came over that that actually shifted um, into the more patriarchal culture. And one of the reasons we understood that that happened is because 
the there was a, there was actually quite a balance between the female and the male in our in our tribes in our communities but when the colonists came over they introduced the colonists introduced some ideas of manhood to our cultures and our men were actually in a dissonant place because their roles were to hunt the food and the women were actually at, at you know in, in the villages creating the community raising the children and doing the teachings but when but when their hunting was taken away when the buffalo were taken away or slaughtered um that actually took away a man's role and it created it created a big loss in them and so naturally they wanted to they wanted to find their identity and what what they were being shown at that time was this very patriarchal system so there's actually a little bit of a little bit of context behind behind how that shift happened well and and you think back to the fact that the founding fathers um you know learned from some of the indigenous people you know some of the ideas that they put into you know uh founding the country um you know and we all know that uh, the version of thanksgiving is just this sanitized uh you know story that is was meant as a glue to uh, bring people together, but you know everything that I've read from indigenous people about Thanksgiving. You know the indigenous people, there was more equality among the genders. In fact, um, the people who sat down to have that first Thanksgiving, as we call it. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is true. If this is, you know, but they said that uh, you know the 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 indigenous folks, the men and women, sat down together while the the Puritans. Um, the men sat down to eat, and the women had to like stand in the background till the men were finished. You know, it's as if the you know indigenous people you know had uh, so much of a more egalitarian sense, um, you know, about them, and uh, you know, and 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 hear these these Puritan ideas, you know, come in and really sort of just just store things in a bad way for, you know, for for women as well as uh as as men from what you've said, you know. And that is you are correct in that there were many many differences, community differences that um created some dissonance within the native peoples. Um even even affecting the African people uh, when they when they were brought over. There's a lot of history around around the native people being the community builders and being the being the peacemakers and wanting to just live in harmony with Mother Earth and the there there was advers there were adversarial views with the with the um, colonists that came over. Right. So, Shawnee, so, I was wondering if you could you could answer the question about where. Where does the concept of the Moon Lodge come from, and what what is a Moon Lodge, and how does it relate to the Red Tent? Yes, Isadora, absolutely. So in the in the Coda culture, um, we we were given the Moon Lodge, and the Moon Lodge was the place that our native that our women would 
visit and stay during their menstrual cycle, during their men- their, during, during their moon time. We call we call our menstrual our menstruation cycles our moon times because it comes because of the cycle of the moon is every 28 days and that is that is where our that is how often we receive our moon our our menstrual our menstruation um and it even dates it even goes back to connecting it to the turtle the turtle when our when our girls go through their coming of age ceremony they're given a turtle shell and that's because on the turtle shell there are 28 um, places around the per- the perimeter of the shell, and the the girls would mark would know when their moon times were coming because they would mark it on the shell. So the moon lodge was brought to us because prob- at some point our men were told that when women were on their moon that they were powerful, well, they noticed that the women were powerful, yet the men got the idea that the women were sucking the power and the energy from the medicine men. And so the, the medicine men created the moon, the, they created the moon lodge as the place for the women to go during their menstrual time. In, in, in modern times, so I remember being 12, 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, and my best friend, who was also Lakota, started her moon at ceremony. So um, women were sent there during ceremonies. They couldn't, the women, when they were on their moons, they couldn't touch the pipe. They couldn't, they couldn't um, be around the medicines. And so it was only, a, you know, growing up, for me, it was only a matter of time until... I had I too had to go to the moon lodge but my best friend she had to go first and I was appalled at what the moon lodge was at that time for that particular event the moon lodge was just a camper shell off the main land and it had a gallon of water toilet paper, you know, a sleeping bag, and food was brought to her and the other women there. So so this is a perfect example. So this is a perfect example in modern times here in the United States of that negative connotation we get of the menstrual hut. Yes. And because I never wanted to go there, I, I didn't want to start my moon because I didn't want to ever risk having to go there during ceremony time. So yes. would so would you so were you afraid of the red tent then? I mean, after after seeing what the menstrual hut was, you know, uh, in 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 your culture, what had it come to be? Um, what did you think about the red tent? Karen, it took me three years to enter the red tent, as Isadora can attest to. Um, I was I was at the at the where women gather and she had set the red tent up there and I never went into it and 
I just didn't see how that could how the red tent could possibly be anything positive or anything empowering because of my experience with the moon lodge. And I my mother, I um with my mother we do a Sundance ceremony. And I remember my mother that third year coming approaching me and saying I think I'm going to ask Isadora and Leah to put a moon lodge at Sundance. What do you think? And I just looked at her as if she had grown foreheads and said, why would we incorporate such a disempowering um, thing, aspect to our beautiful ceremony? And so I, I, I made the attempt to step into the, into the red tent. And I was pleasantly surprised um unfortunately i had had i've had some personal experience where seeing that amount of red really um triggered me in some ways but the beauty of the red tent and the 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 offerings and the gifts um and the nurturing that i was greeted with really made me reconsider what other ideas i had and really helped quench the negative um, memories that I was having as well. So, Lushanya, is it, is it safe to say that, that what you described, you know, that sort of horrible camper with the toilet paper and the gallon of water, you know, you're sort of relegated to the, you know, the, you know, the, the you know, because you're taboo, you're unclean, you know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's sort of what I'm hearing. This is, this is an unclean time, you know, it, it goes back to that, that horrible patriarchal idea that so many women suffer from around the world. Is that typical among the indigenous tribes in the United States, or, or is there any shift to maybe uh, bring the sacredness back, like with, like the red tents are doing? Karen, unfortunately, it is not. It, it is the norm that women are not permitted to be around in ceremony during their moon time um, in many, in, in the majority of the indigenous tribes. Um, That's so unfortunate. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, maybe as the red tents grow, more women will find out like you did, and um, we can really write a new history. Uh, I mean, Isadora, you you may, um, you know, I, I'm I'm hearing, you know, the, these negative connotations of the menstrual hutch. You know, we usually hear about them in third world countries, but obviously, you know, it's happening in our own backyard here in the United States. I mean, I think the red tents are helping us rewrite the story, you know, to change the language, um, you know, to sort of uh, start, you know, with our pink-handled machetes kind of blaze a new trail for women. Absolutely. And I think Lashanya is actually a really good example of that, and that's why I suggested that we that she be on the show because she, you know, she's an example of a woman who, you know, wanted nothing to do with the red tent, and then she had this, you know, wonderful transformation um, and, uh, and tremendous healing. And now, you know, she hosts Red Tents in um, where she lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And, I, you know, I just wanted to, you know, ask you, LaShawnya, what has been your experience now that you're bringing Red Tent to your community and you are a community leader? What I'm, what I'm seeing is a connection among women and a connection among women who would otherwise come, who would, otherwise not come together. Um, I'm seeing 
a, I'm seeing women develop a new type of sisterhood, a new type of seeing one another and offering support. I see a lot of women come into the red tent and it and and be vulnerable. Start to start to. Uh, somebody said it once. You leave your titles at the door. You. I just see women shedding their skin and coming in as they were born, and it's really beautiful to see. And it makes walking in our world, in our culture, in our society, a little bit easier. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, you know, because uh, you know, you read about the uh, domestic violence in the, in you know, in, in the indigenous peoples. Uh, cultures. I don't know what the statistics are. If it's higher than, um, you know, outside, uh, you know, your culture or off the reservation. Um, uh, but I, it, it feels like it feels like um, uh, you know Native American women have it have a hard life, and this could be something that they could really um, could really help empower them. That is true because it is a it is a place where their menstruate their menstrual cycles are honored. Their that part of them is honored, and they don't get that in their in their um, in their communities in their local com- not local community, but their their native community. They're not going to get that acknowledgement and honor for that part of themselves. You know, let me just ask you a quick question. You know, I went to the Phoenix Museum and saw a beautiful little film where a woman, a young girl, uh, was went through a ceremony. I think they called it Changing Woman, uh, you know, to honor the goddess, you know. And um, it, it does, is, how does that play into all of this? Because it looked like it was a time when the community came together, men and women, to honor her entering puberty. Um, how, you know, it seems like there's a disconnect. Sometimes in our, in our indigenous communities, when a woman, when a young girl reaches womanhood, her, begins her menstruating, it actually means that she becomes a woman. And so her role changes in the community. And it makes her more available to contribute to the community and, and, to, bear the ch- and to bear children, to keep the, the lineage alive. And so I think that a lot of those ceremonies are to honor that part. And they just, they just, they are triggered by her beginning her menstruation cycle, but they would not be, they're usually conducted immediately following, you know, after her first cycle, um, or she's definitely not on her cycle when those ceremonies are conducted. I see. It's more about her role in the community, not about her ability to give life per se. So really it's about her her role, uh, you know, to become marriageable. It's almost as if what she can give the community rather than the community giving her anything. Yes. 
Exactly, Karen. I see. That's unfortunate, but um, I, you know, you, um, you know, you are blazing, you are blazing a new trail, you know, within your community. Um, How do how do you use your experiences and connections in the red tent in your professional life? In my professional life, um, and I, I think in some professions, there's a lot of competition among women. And I believe that there's a general idea that when women are in, in leadership positions within an organization, they tend to emulate the male, pers- the male persona of leadership. And so in my, profession, in my professional life, I'm actually able to reflect on all of those women that sit in the red tent circle, and I'm able to see from the various backgrounds that we come, and then I'm able to reflect on the, the commonalities that we, that we shared, the same fate. I'm able to see our faces as the same and our hearts as the same. And so it's easy for me to translate that to my professional space. I'm able to look at the women that I work with, and it eliminates a competition for me personally. Um, it, it, it gives me an opportunity to kind of push away the other um, facades and, and identify a strength in a woman and ask her to bring that to a collaboration. And I, it, it, it makes working in a mainstream profession a, a lot more healing for me and a lot more fun and a lot more empowering. So well, that, that says a lot. I mean, really, I mean, we have all of these different um, layers to the onion, so to speak. You know, at first the red tent seems like it's, um, you know, just a, a really neat, beautiful place on the surface that women can hang out. But obviously, um, I mean, in Isadora, as you've documented in your film and with all of these conversations tonight, we see really how profound the red tent is on so many different levels. Uh, I'm so glad you recommended we have all of these different voices on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, it's their stories. I mean, the subtitle of my film, the, the, the title is Things We Don't Talk About, but the subtitle is Women's Stories from the Red Tent. And, you know, when we listen to each other's stories, you know, we have an opportunity to change our reality. Well, Lushanya, um, any, uh, or is there any contact information for you uh, if anyone wants to know more about what you're doing or maybe has particular interest in, um, you know, the indigenous peoples with red tents or anything like that, your, your social justice activism, anything of that nature? Yes, Karen. Our organization's website is kuntikea.org. It's K U N as in Nancy, S-I-K-E-Y-A dot O-R-G. Okay. Well, ladies, it is... can find information about us there. 
Okay. And uh and if you would maybe email it to me that way if um uh if someone wasn't able to catch it um you know I can forward the information. Thank you so much uh for being on the show tonight. You really added a different element uh to it and um I it, it was really profound. Thank you so very much for sharing. Thank you so much Kate and uh, Karen and Isadora. Good night. Okay. Well, Isadora, I think uh, I think that's a wrap. Um, I think it was a great night, a great tribute to the Red Tent. Uh, I just want to thank you and uh, Alisa for um, you know your ideas to do this and for your contribution to the upcoming anthology about the radio show Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I just, I'm, I'm sorry that Elisa Starkerweather was not be available to be with us tonight, but she's definitely here in spirit. And um, if you want to learn more about the Red Tent, um, you can go about the movie in particular, but also the Red Tent movement. Um, you can find lots of information on the film's website, which is www.redtentmovie.com. Okay. Well, you were a great co-host tonight. Thank you so very much for everything you're doing in the world. And, wow, you should really feel good when you go to bed at night, uh, you know, what you've done to make this movement grow. Well, life is a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Bye-bye. Well, listeners, we're about ready to wrap it up tonight. And uh, next week, I'm happy to say I have Phyllis Karat coming on the show discussing modern paganism. We had a pre-interview chat, and I really like this woman. I think you will, too. We have a lot in common. So please click the Follow button on my show page so you don't forget any of my wonderful guests that I'm so proud to have on the show each week. Um, Also, if you have not had a chance yet to pick up my book, Goddess Calling, It truly does show how we can have an alternative to patriarchy and how goddess spirituality sets us free. That's why it's called liberation theology, and that's theology with an A. Uh, And remember, listeners, uh, be proud you are the cognitive minority. Speak out. I think tonight's show is an example of that. Uh, We are the future. Help shift the world paradigm by being who you are and walking your talk and believing what you believe. We are the women and men changing the world. And when things feel like they're getting tough, remember what Gandhi said. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And I think we've been having a lot of victories lately. And before we close the show, here's a word from Joe Carson. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chronic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and the divine were all connected. They were together. But there wasn't a separation. And that's what we are trying to return to is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. Set the sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex.
Well, uh, many of you have uh, heard that commercial before, and I thank Joe Carson with Dancing with Gaia uh, for enabling me to play this on the show. Uh, and uh, you heard uh, Serena Roney Dougal there, Ph.D. Uh, she's one of the speakers in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. It explores the connections between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddesses Gaia. It features 15 visionaries like Serena who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book and costs just $20. And you can get your own copy at DancingWithGaia.com. Well, listeners, that about does it for tonight. Thank you for tuning in. Please share the show um, to uh, you know those that you know. I think there was so much here for so many, uh, so much wisdom uh, that uh, these uh, these women all uh, shared today. Because it is up to us to change the story, and we are going about uh, doing that. So let's um, let's close with uh, Diva Haley. Uh, and from her DVD, Sacred Alchemy. is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.